everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am Jesse Jackson, and joining me today is Lawrence. Hey, Lawrence, how you doing? I'm doing great, Jesse. How are you today? I am great. I got to tell you, Bruce Buds, Lawrence is playing Hurt. He had a little bit of dental surgery, and he's pushed aside the pain because that's how much he wants to talk about Bruce Springsteen with me, and I appreciate it a lot. Why don't we start out with, tell me a little about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Give me your background, where you grew up on, what music you liked when you were a youngster. Sure. From and living currently in Montreal, Canada. Lived here all my life. I'm in my mid-50s and have been a music fan since probably 10, 11 years old. And in my formative years, gravitated to, I would I guess I would call it uh, folk rock. So my biggest influences growing up were Simon and Garfunkel, Pete Seeger, Bob Dylan, of course. I mean, the biggest one and still mm -hmm. to this day, my, my, my biggest influence in terms of uh, music that I still like to listen to and gauge everybody against. And so I guess it's no coincidence that, uh, you know, I eventually became a Bruce Springsteen fan. Growing up in, uh, in Canada, we were exposed to the same type of folk music. And also then I, as I got a little bit older, I uh, gravitated more to um, rock and roll. And rock and roll for me was Rolling Stones, David Bowie. Uh, Led Zeppelin, oh, everything as from Genesis to Jethro Tull to Rory Gallagher. So I had quite a varied taste in music going, uh, you know, going through the late 60s and into the early 70s. Were you from a big musical family? Did your, did your family like a lot of music? Were you, was there music in the background as you were growing up? My, my mom loved music. I mean, she listened to music, but, uh, you know, and, and her favorite type of music was the big band era. Oh, nice. I can't really say that anyone in my family uh, influenced me. It was basically going to high school yeah. and uh, going to concerts. Uh, that's what really hooked me in, you know, to, to music. Once, once I was introduced to live concerts, this was like nirvana for me. I was enjoying that experience so much that... <clears throat> try to figure out a way on how to make that experience last. In other mm -hmm. words, after the concert was over, I mean, you had a buzz, and I'm not talking about drug-induced buzz, yes. I'm just talking about a natural high. You know, it was the music that I was really, really uh, attracted to. So just to get back to my point, I tried to figure out, well, how can I make this, um, this experience last? What I figured out was, if I could take pictures photographs of the bands I could basically try and relive the experience you know after the fact and that's wow. what I did I started bringing my camera and back in the early 70s there was no such thing as the three song rule or not allowed to bring in your cameras whatever you were able to bring in your camera equipment I mean let's let's face it it wasn't that sophisticated um, right like it is now, but you're allowed to bring in your camera equipment and basically go right up to the stage, photograph. Well, some people would photograph for one or two songs. Some people, if they had a seat close to the stage, would photograph the whole concert. And that's ultimately was my goal to get a, a seat or a, at least a standing room access to as, uh, the as close to the stage as possible and photograph these bands. The first concert I photographed was the Rolling Stones, Exile on Main Street, 1972 tour, 
with Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, and the, the rest of the band. I have to say that was just an unbelievable experience for me. After I got home and then took the film to the lab, had it developed and prints made, I was thunderstruck. I said, oh my God, this is what I have to do. That started a career for me for 17 years of being a professional photographer from 1972 to 1989, photographing all the bands that I could ever have loved from Simon and Garfunkel to Paul Simon, Bruce Springsteen, Bob Dylan, Rolling Stones, David Bowie, you know, Rod Stewart, Eric Clapton, on and on and on. Lawrence, this is amazing. I'm so glad you're sharing this. My main goal was to make the experience last. And right. what I did was I photographed, I shot mostly slides. I would come home, I would set up in a carousel. We all remember those slide carousels that held either 60 or 120 slides. And I would, I would give shows. I would give slideshows. I would put on the music, I'd invite over my friends, and we'd relive whatever concert you know, I had seen in the last week or in the last year or mm -hmm. go back into my archives. And I still do it. Believe it or not, I still have the slides. I still have, uh, uh, well, I don't have a carousel anymore. It's a slide tray sheet. Yeah. I still load up those uh, slides at, at different times, put on the music and experience things that I did in the early uh, 70s and even through the 80s and 90s. You were doing a live version of YouTube. Yeah, well, great analogy. Absolutely. That that is so cool. I am not a technical person, but I'm I've got to ask the question, what kind of camera were you using back then? I was using a Nikon FM and then a Nikon FM2. Not the best camera, not the most professional cameras uh, that were available at the time. Sort of mid-level. Uh, I did have two motor drives uh, and and for those people who are not familiar with a motor drive is it basically is a unit that fits on the back, on sorry, on the bottom of your camera that permits you to shoot more than one frame per second. So okay. if you push down the shutter, instead mm -hmm. of just getting one image, you might get somewhere uh, between four and five images. And when you're shooting someone like Bruce Springsteen, Mick Jagger, um, mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of somebody else that moves around a lot. Those type of uh, units are extremely, extremely beneficial because, you know, those guys don't stop, you know, they don't stand still for, for, for very long. How many canisters of film would you go through on a show? Oh, boy. Good question. I would say minimum of 10, and there's okay. 36, uh, roll, uh, 36 frames on a roll, so you're right. looking at a minimum of th 360 shots. Uh, and I'll give you the... The ratio, uh, most photographers work by this ratio. I know I did. And that was, if you shot one roll of film and you took 36 shots, if you got five that were very good to very good, mm -hmm. then you were, you were doing well. That was your ratio. So five out of 36. So if you, I mean, you know, and we got better, and it all depends. If you were shooting an artist like Simon and Garfunkel, who are basically just standing there, yeah. then, of course, your ratio goes up by a lot. But if you're shooting Bruce Springsteen, who's jumping off uh, speaker columns and jumping into the audience during Spirit in the Night, the third song, or Mick Jagger, who never stops still for two minutes. Right. 
then you know your ratio like i said if you get five really good ones then you're doing well yeah because i can imagine because i'm sitting here thinking about this and i'm seeing young lawrence with his 35 millimeter he's got all his films and so you're doing this motor you called it right yeah yeah motor drive yeah yeah so okay this is i think it's going to be a good song you're setting it up and you're pushing and then you aren't filming it it is single shots and so i'm sure there's tons of blurred and things that you're bad angles but then you do get like oh i captured that moment this is a keeper exactly oh. i mean more blurred shots and more <laughs> yeah. bad angles and up the nose and someone's hand just happens to come across you know, right. your lens as, as you think you have the perfect shot and then you get back home and then you see five fingers. Yeah, and the other thing for the young kids listening to us, one of the nice things about a digital camera is you see the results of the shot and not totally. I, I do think once you download it, they can look worse or better, but you at least see the concept of the photo there from the screen. Uh, you know, you're not seeing that. You're just going through your lens, you're looking at it. Um, did you experiment a lot with your speed and how you catch that? And uh, I imagine this was just a blast experimenting with this. You know, the, the band basically dictated how you, how you shot, you know, okay. in, terms of the, in terms of the aperture, in terms of the exposure, et cetera. Uh, some bands had, you know, were, are amazing on stage, but they had dreadful lighting. Uh, you know, Bruce Springsteen has Mark Brickman, one of the best, had Mark Brickman, one of the lighting geniuses, the 1970s and 1980s, went on to, you know, do lighting with Pink Floyd. That made it a lot easier. But anyone who's seen Hammersmith Odeon, you're yeah. asking yourself, where's Bruce? Right. Because where's the lighting on that, right? So yes. I didn't photograph 1975, uh, the, the Born to Run tour, although that was my first concert with Bruce uh, in 1975. I didn't take a camera that night, uh, but I did see him in an 800-seat theater here in Montreal. Nice. Uh, his, his actual first time in Montreal. And uh, this was in December of 1975 BTR tour. I mean, the show was amazing, extremely dramatic lighting, but not that fantastic for photography. So okay. to answer your question, experimented, but, you know, film was expensive back then. And you, yes. didn't, really want, you didn't really want to try, you wanted to try and keep that to a minimum. And so you learned, you quickly learned what worked and what didn't work, you know, the speeds, the apertures, and then you moved on. So whatever you learned in one show, you were able to bring to the next show and, and improve. Getting back to your point about, you know, people who use digital cameras today, to me, I have a very small digital camera. I hardly use uh, use it. Um, I, I'm just really not that into photography anymore. I'm into photographs, and I collect photographs of yes. all the musicians. But I think the best button on on a, any camera of today is the delete button. Now, how young were you when you saw the Rolling Stones this first time, and you took pictures? Fifteen. And you, it it just you had a calling. you like, this is what I want to do with my life. It chose me. I didn't really choose it. It, it just yeah. basically enveloped me. This mm -hmm. is what I'm going to do. I, you know, at 15, I, you know, I didn't know what I, I was in high school. I didn't know what I wanted to do. Right. It, 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 like I said, it, it was a calling. It, it, or like you said, it was a calling. Yeah. 
I gravitated to that from from the time I turned maybe 17. I was then shooting virtually every show that came to the to, to, to the city, every show musically that I liked. Did you do other gigs to help pay the bills or to fund your film? Were you a professional photographer in the doing weddings and you know no. parties or anything? Just doing this? Strictly music photography, and it became a profession for me in 1976 when someone who I met in college left college and went to work for Sony CBS Columbia. Okay. Called me up and said, uh, listen, I'm working for Sony. And I said, what do you mean? Well, actually, it was Columbia Records at the yeah. time. Now it's Sony. And I said, what do you mean you're working for Columbia? She said, yeah, I'm working for the office here uh, in, 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 in Montreal, and we're putting on all these concerts, and we want you to you know, come and show us your portfolio of the work that you've done. And up until this time, it was for me and my friends, right, yeah. showing slideshows and, and yeah. prints and things like that. So I said, really? And she said, yeah. So I came to... Had you sold any prints at all? I can remember vaguely back in the 70s, I was in a Beach Boy fan club. Right. And there would be, you know, on a little newsletter at the back saying photographs of Brian Wilson and the band, and you would... You know, you'd send off your money and they'd come back and you'd get photos that they had taken at a concert. Had you done any of that? Nothing on, not, nothing even as big as a fanzine. Literally just to my immediate circle of friends, which you know, maybe we were between five and ten people that I hung out with. Some people might like Deep Purple. Some people might like Bob Dylan. Some people mm -hmm. might like the Rolling Stones or David Bowie. And some people might like all that stuff. Exclusively, I would be, I just sold a few prints. It really was for my own enjoyment and, and yeah. for the enjoyment of my friends. So to answer your question, no, I, I okay. strictly did music photography. But in 76, my, this friend of mine, Lucky Stroke, mm -hmm. um, you know, of meeting her, and she had just seen Mick Jagger, who was here in Montreal for the 1976 Olympics. Yes. Had gotten a black and blue album signed by him. And she, like I said, left the communications department of the college that I was at mm -hmm. to go work at, at Columbia Within three, four months, I'm pho photographing Elvis Costello, Blow, uh, and, and other record companies, uh, found, uh, you know, got my name. And I was able to uh, parlay that into a career for 17 years of shooting uh, all the bands that I just previously mentioned uh, over the years. So you're in your early 20s. You get yes. a fr call from a friend. Did you even have a portfolio? Yes. I mean, you had, okay, you did. Well, you, I had an album. You know, it was okay. a point. Okay, if we call this a portfolio, it was a binder <laughs> yes. of photographs in plastic sheets. And that was it. It was like a binder that you go and you buy at uh, Staples. Okay, great. So when you started filming them, was it always in concert or were you doing publicity stills or you could do, did you do cover art? I mean, or inside the covers, you know, how they would have pictures of the band. What, what kind of pictures were you taking and photographs and what were they being used for? Sure, great question. 90% of my photography was done live in concert. Okay. Coincidentally, the first concert that I did photograph as a getting paid for was, like I said, it was Elvis Costello at a small theater with uh, Nick Lowe and Rockpile and also Mink DeVille opening up. So okay. that was a great triple bill. And ultimately, what I didn't know because I was green. Mm -hmm. was that once I sold the photographs to the record company, they were yeah. able to use them for whatever they liked. So 
Uh, I thought I was just selling them for publicity, local publicity, let's say newspapers, magazines, yeah. whatever. Then I find out that they've taken my Elvis Costello photos, well within their right, by the way, but I was yeah. quite surprised. And they've syndicated them across the United States and Canada, you know, for um, for publicity and public relations. But you know what? It was great because, like I said, um, you know, the fact that I was able to even do that was like a dream. Turn what had been for like about four years just a hobby yeah. now is a profession now i'm getting paid to do what you love now and isn't that what it's all about oh yeah absolutely I, i'm i'm still looking for a way to figure out how to get paid to podcast so absolutely <laughs> this was your full-time gig yes wow that is amazing you said you did it till 1989. What changed? What changed was, I think I, I sort of alluded to that at the very beginning. I said, yeah. you know, in the early 70s, you could walk in with a camera, go right up to the stage. No one would hassle you. There wasn't security. There was no right. one saying, put that away your camera. There, the rules and regulations became so tedious. The contracts that you had to sign became so onerous. I got fed up. I just yeah. said, you know, it's just not worth it because... What ultimately happened was, and I, I mean, I understand, and, you know, yeah. I, I, artists basically want to look their best. Right. So instead of being able to photograph a whole concert, now you're only able to photograph the first three songs. Or now, when I say now, I'm referring to, you know, uh, let's say the late 70s, early 80s. And instead of the, uh, being able to get close to the stage, sometimes you were only able to photograph from the back of the arena or in the stadium. Can you imagine photographing someone? So I mean, you had to bring this humongous lens. So the only thing that you're getting is a full stage shot. Now, I happen to like full stage shots. It really gives you the context of the huge stage that Bruce has or the Jacksons, like I used to photograph the Jacksons, they had amazing stages. Rolling Stones had amazing right. stages. So it's interesting to look at those for half a dozen images, maybe even a dozen images. But if you can't get close, yeah. you're missing the intimacy. And that's basically why I left in 1989. There was no, there was total restrictions, no intimacy anymore. I had my fill. I walked away. I was extremely happy with the portfolio that I left with. And now to this day, I'm able to use my images for different types of uh, limited edition books, including okay. my own, uh, yeah. other uh, packages that uh, okay. artists are coming out with. You know, I, you know, I recently have worked with the group Yes. I've worked with ACDC. I have something going on with cars from Boston. We're going to get to your book uh, in a little bit, and we're going to give everyone, we're going to put a link in the show notes of where you can find it. We're going to let you tell us a little about it. My last question, I know I said that, but I have one more. Lawrence, you're still dabbling in photography, don't you? Well, not actually taking pictures, but I work with my images, my extensive image bank to supply photographs to uh, management companies, record companies, publishers, and also record companies that put out box sets. Box sets? Are you, may, is there a certain photograph might be in a box set that my listeners would be very interested in? Well, as it happens, uh, I was contacted back in March of uh, 2015 by yeah. the art director for the Ties That Bind, the Bruce Springsteen River box set. I'm very pleased to let you know that uh, three of my original photos from the uh, River Tour Mm -hmm. were chosen and will be in the exclusive limited edition 200 page book that comes with the box. Lawrence, when we get to meet, because we're going to sooner or later, we'll further down the road to quote 
the Jersey poet, you know, I'll have to have you sign my uh, booklet. I, that is awesome. I, you've got to be proud of that. I am. I'm extremely proud, especially yeah. since I was very uh, uh, disappointed that yeah. I didn't get any photos into the darkness package. Oh, that must have just ate you alive. It did. It did. You know, it's, it's luck of the draw. Yes, absolutely. I always ask anybody that's a Bruce fan or even a non-Bruce yeah. fan, said, can you name me a trilogy of albums by any artist that is better than BTR, Darkness, and The River? It's That's pretty tough. That's pretty tough. I mean, yeah. three albums, three classics. You talked about seeing the Born to Run tour and it sounds like you're a huge music fan. Was there something special about Bruce? Is he just one of your many musical um, heroes slash fan, you know, um, idols or, you know, favorite musicians? Or does he have a special place for you? Uh, he definitely has a special place without okay. question. Um, but I would put right up there with Bruce. I put uh, um, uh, Paul Simon. Yeah. Uh, Leonard Cohn, mm -hmm. Bob Dylan, the Rolling Stones, and David Bowie. That's probably my top five or six. Yeah. Uh, these are the musicians that if they tour, when they tour, if they come yeah. to my city, if I can travel a little bit, you know, not too far, yeah. that they are the must-sees for me. Um, but, you know, Bruce I became a fan of in 1974. Okay. Got, got to see him in 1975 Yes, uh, and was totally smitten by what I saw then. But then uh, I lost track of Bruce because uh, in 76 and 77, we have the, uh, the, the Chicken Scratch Tour and the, what, sorry, what do they call it? The legal, uh, you know, the... Um, yeah, because he... He couldn't record, so he couldn't record. Yeah, right. But but he exclusively toured in the states during that time, and right. he, he, he well, actually, that's not true. He did make it up to Toronto, but I live in Montreal, so I did not. So I, the truth of the matter is, I sort of lost track of him in okay. 76, 77. So when the same cousin, nineteen seventy eight, calls me up, he's going to Buff State, Buffalo State College. The same cousin that I saw the show in. Montreal in 1975 says Bruce is coming here in May of 1978 to open his darkness tour. He says, would you like to come down? I said, yeah, I think I would. And I did. And that's when I saw the first of nine concerts on the darkness tour. Wow. Opened up with Buffalo and ended with the two Cleveland shows, New Year's Eve and New Year's Day. And saw seven others in between. As you may know, this is my favorite tour of all time of any of any musician, of any artist, of any band, uh, of any tour. <laughs> um, uh, this was the uh, pinnacle. Uh, and I saw a lot of music after that, and a lot of music before, but nothing ever has touched those three and a half to four hours. Those nine. I mean, I'm I'm still. Still, even though the book that I did on darkness came out mm, uh, five years ago now, okay, uh, six years ago, even though that the, the book came out then, I'm still 
tracking down people who saw that show. I'm still looking for photographs from that concert. I'm still totally enamored. And uh, I don't know what you, maybe someone might use the word obsessed and uh, I don't use that word lightly, but I, I haven't finished with that tour yet. I just, it just, as you can see, I'm a bit speechless here because I don't really know. I really don't know the words on how to describe, you know, my feelings for that and the 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 environment that it created, in terms of enjoyment for um, for me as a photographer. Because I, out of the nine concerts, I photographed eight of them, including here in Montreal, where I was hired by Columbia Records to photograph Bruce backstage uh, with with uh, the rest of the band and with a lot of celeb. Well, I wouldn't call them celebrities, but let's say local people who who uh, got to meet Bruce because they either ran record uh, stores or or say uh, they were VIPs in in any case uh so I was working it was in 78 that I first met Bruce in Augusta Maine back backstage this and to this day that's the best show I ever saw Augusta Maine 1978 in August on the Darkness tour why do you say that's the best show 5000 people Bruce Basically, it was 110 degrees in the middle of August. It was in a field house. So I guess, I don't know what they did in that field house. I guess they played basketball or whatever. Bruce was maniacal. He just was so intense. Uh, you know, uh, the intro to Prove It All Night, Badlands, and, and so, so extremely athletic. And so I think surprised, I mean, surprised by the audience, he actually says at one time, he's speaking to the audience and he said, were you all released from jail tonight? Wow. That's how crazy he thought the audience was. I mean, that's something I've never heard. Oh, no, no, that's since. amazing. Yeah. Or, or then, since yeah. then, as intense as he was, I mean, this took it to a different level. Yeah. When I met him, I was wearing um, a Buddy Holly t-shirt uh, because the Buddy Holly story with... Um, uh, Gary Busey had been yes. released, and I had just gone to a premiere uh, of that movie. Yeah, and and Bruce was a big fan of Buddy Holly, and he was a big fan of that movie, and and that's why in Philadelphia he brought Gary Busey up on stage with him. Mm -hmm. He commented on my shirt, and Max uh, looked at that shirt. He said, "You know what? I think that Bruce really liked that shirt." So that's what I did. I gave the shirt. I gave him the shirt off my back. That is greatness! Wow, that is a cool story. Yeah, that would that is wonderful how many times have you seen him total perform can't give you an exact number but okay. i would say that it's certainly between 90 and 100 so as i mentioned to you i i last track of bruce between 76 and 77 and the truth right. be told i didn't st uh you know i of course born in the usa but um uh, i didn't see any sh of the shows on the reunion tour right. which is which is something that i regret it is on my regret list as well, just because life being the way it was. Just as a side note, in 1989, what became your day job? Uh, something that I'm still doing today. I work for a small communications company okay. uh, here in Montreal. Uh, mostly, I uh, work in the production end of things. Our clients include uh, some of the largest ph pharmaceutical uh, okay. companies uh, in the U.S., uh, for instance, like Pfizer. Talk about your book or books why did you decide to do this give me kind of the 
your origin story of why you decided to publish a book and kind of the that tale. Okay, so um, as in, in your introduction, you referenced uh, books. So yes, I've done um, published. Uh, I'm not an author. Uh, a lot of times I get mistakenly referred to as an author. Um, I'm not a writer. <laughs> I was a photographer, but I am mm -hmm. a publisher and published two books on, on Bruce. The first one called For You. And the actual full name of that book, uh, everyone, although we all referred to it as For You, is For You Original Stories and Photographs by Bruce Springsteen's Legendary Fans. Mm. That's the, the, the full title. Um, that book was published in 2007 and very limited edition. So we're only talking uh, just under 3,000 books. Hardcover. Yes. But by 2008, it was sold out. The reason that I did that book is because I felt that the, 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 the Springsteen audience, the fan, the community, the Springsteen fan community needed a touchstone to be able to relate their stories, their um, uh, contact with Bruce. I mean, Bruce, unlike most artists, there's no wall between Bruce and um and his and his fan uh, base, his fan community. Yeah, and this is this is demonstrated day after day, tour after tour, year after year. Not only during the concerts when he allows himself to be what's what's the word I'm looking for, where where he lies down and the people move him through the audience. Right, the crowd surfing. Crowd surfing, exactly. Yeah. Where he allows himself to be crowd surfed. To, to the time when he allows everyone to, you know, when he allows um, fans to play his guitar, when he brings up, you know, eight and 10 year olds to yes. sing songs with him and, and squeeze and sponges of water on his face. Yes. He, he, so there's no wall. And let's face it, he's walking down the boardwalk and he picks up a guitar and he starts serenading a newly engaged couple. He yes. jumps on stage at the Stone Pony. So, Everyone has a story. I mean, we all have stories. And mm -hmm. this is what I'm doing now. I'm telling you my story. Right. And my story was that I loved Bruce um, from the early, well, from the mid-70s. And I was a photographer. And I, want, I knew that a lot of fans had photographed Bruce in the early 70s, mid-70s. And they had negatives and slides and images buried away in shoeboxes. Mm -hmm. in their attic, in their parents' home. And I wanted to bring all those things, those hidden treasures, into a book with people's stories and allow that to get out, you know, to the Springsteen fan community. And that's what I did. I spent a lot of time. Yeah. I spent a lot of money because it was self-published and it was I had to distribute it myself. And every minute was worth it because the community was extremely, extremely generous with someone who they didn't know, right. they didn't know who I was. So here they are submitting their photographs, their original negatives for me to work with, um, and their stories. And uh, there were a lot of doubters, a lot of people that wrote about it saying, you know, we hear this guy is putting together this book. We don't know if it's ever going to come out. Be careful, whatever. Right. And ultimately, it did. Well, uh, you know, there's four copies of, available on Amazon. 
The cheapest is $348.50, and the there are two uh, going up to $499. Uh, so yes, it is certainly, um, a collector's edition. Um, it looks, the cover looks beautiful. And, you know, once again, this is what, when I've done a couple of podcasts, I, I do a castle podcast and I do a doctor who podcast and I, I am passionate about, um, a lot of TV shows I watch and I visit, but I really did. I went to our podcast leader and I said, I just want to do a Springsteen podcast because I, I think, and I guess maybe I'm just biased, but I believe that Springsteen's fans are uh, the closest ever thing is the Grateful Dead, right? This, right? There is such a community and such a caring of each other and so many great stories. I, I just think this would be an interesting podcast. And Rob was like, hey, you're passionate about it. Go for it. And so far, I've gotten great response, and I'm so humbled that so many people want to talk to me. So it, it sounds like a lot. That's what you did with the book. You just – I want to have this collection for fans. Exactly. And yeah, that's, exactly, that's beautiful. It's exactly what I did. And, and let, let's face it, Jesse, everybody that I think that you will interview will be biased. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's true. Um, if I might say, just add one little thing about the book. Um, so the book, as I mentioned, has been sold out since 2008. And since 2000 and um, I'd say 10, for the last five years, I've been raffling off um, a brand new, when I say brand new, this is from the first printing that I saved. I saved about 25 copies of uh, the, 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 the hardcover book for you, saved 25 of those specifically to be able to raffle those off for different uh, charities and inst uh, institutions and things like that. Um, um, and I've done so over the years and raised uh, oh, just about over $4,000. Uh, and, and I do that twice a year. Um, I do it in September and in April, mm -hmm. and if any of your listeners um, are interested, they can certainly uh, go to the link uh, that you're going to provide uh, yes. on the show uh -huh. to, uh, to either book, because I still have a, a website for the original book, which is just for you, Bruce.com. Okay. And the, um, the other book on the darkness tour, mm -hmm. um, uh, we, we post information on that. So that'll, that'll be coming up in, uh, April of 2016. So if anyone is still okay. looking to win a book for that, not having to pay the $345. Yeah. I, you, you surprised me, by the way. I, I mean, I know sometimes that the books uh, um, appear on um, uh, on eBay. Yeah. But I didn't know that there were a few uh, available right now. There, and, there. Uh, and, the, and, and the most I've ever seen one uh, go for, I think, was about $340, $350. Yeah. But, there, are, uh, there are four on Amazon. They're all wow. from you know, third party dealers. Yes. And, um, you know, there is one for four ninety nine, and the yes. thing, uh, the light and darkness, uh, there's 11 used most inexpensive is 56 bucks, but most of them are in the, uh, 90 to a hundred. Um, and none of them are new. Okay. Uh, so, well, 
then, then your listeners can 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 uh, <laughs> take advantage of the very few that are left, have them new, and if when they order them, if they yeah. so desire, uh, and, and they want me to sign the book, I'm glad to do that. Oh, absolutely. And yeah, I will get that link. I certainly urge everyone to go um, check out the book page, and I know that I'm going to mention to my wife that this the light and darkness would be a great Christmas gift to go with me along with uh, Bruce's new box set. Um, so that is amazing. That looks wonderful. Um, is there any specific, we're going to kind of wrap it up soon, but is there any specific Bruce songs that speak to you that have a personal meaning to you that you've used either during a celebration part of your life or a tough part of your life? My two favorite songs are from the Darkness album. I remember Badlands mm -hmm. in Buffalo, May of 78. Yeah. First show since let's say, threw off the shackles of the restraining restrictions right. where, where he couldn't record. Mm -hmm. He could play. And that's why he was able to do the Chicken Scratch tour and the other one. I mean, that's how he had, you know, that's how he made, made a living. He had to make money. He had to pay his band, the great E Street band. Um, but Badlands, you know what? I mean, he was spitting that song out. It was so defiant. It was so like... You know, I finally gained back my freedom. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you could see the veins in his neck bursting. He he was just on a mission. And you could see, I mean, um, you could see that he was ready to take the audience with him. Uh, you know, whether, you know, basically whether it was going to kill him and his audience as well. So that's that's a song that I relate to all the time. I mean, Badlands. I mean, I think that song is a song that he performs just about every concert on tour. Mm -hmm. uh, I believe that's one of the top ones. And the other song, which I was fortunate enough to see him perform um, with the extended intro uh, again after all those years, was Prove It All Night. Yeah. Again, I, I believe a defiant song, a song that, um, you know, uh, um, it's, it's actually two songs, because if you listen to the intro, it's, it's, it's beautiful, the intro. I mean, it's, right. it, it, it doesn't foretell anything of what's about to come when he, when, you know, when he gets into the crouch, I mean, you know, and, and just gets into that guitar solo. I mean, that is something that is very, very special. So those two songs really speak to me, have over the years. Um, they're absolutely my favorite. Um, uh, you know, even though I've heard it, you know, I've seen 90 to 100 shows. I've um, heard it 90 to 100 times, Born to Run. Still, you cannot, the, the, the urge to fist pump, to sing along, to feel like you know this is this is us this is the bruce fan community all you know as one and um you know i mean <laughs> i find those songs extremely extremely um compelling to listen yeah. to even even now you know and you know some people 
you know, might be fed up with them or whatever and hope that, you know, one of the more, let's say, esoteric songs or maybe not not as popular songs, um, uh, you know, get played. But I have to say that, you know, during those three songs, if, well, for sure, we'll always hear ba Badlands and we'll always hear Born to Run, not always prove it all night. Right. Um, so one other song that I'll throw out to you, um, uh, and I think that's uh, a bit appropriate, is Drive It All Night. Yes. I'm sorry. No. Drive all night, not yeah. drive it all night. <laughs> yes. But um, that song, again, uh, played beautifully. I mean, I remember a, um, uh, uh, a version of it from Florida with uh, bringing on Clarence and, uh, my, uh, and Miami Steve. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, uh, that version really, really just hits home with me. Um, you know, something very different than, uh, than you know, an up-tempo song, something that, uh, you know, shows Bruce uh, um, as a writer of love songs. Yes. As a, as a writer of, um, as, you know, songs, uh, almost like a ballad, you mm -hmm. know, something that, something that um, you know, is, is longer, is something that extends. And, um, you know, those three or four songs, um, I guess are at the top of my list all the time. So if he tours in 2016, and a, there's rumors that it's going to happen, um, is there anything you want to hear if you get to see him live? Um, you know, uh, I like... Uh, I like uh, the the songs that I just mentioned, but uh, yeah. you know, there's, there's songs off uh, the river that um, I, I I don't hear very often. I I happen to love Point Blank. Yes. I love Independence Day. I love um, you know it's fine. I don't have a I should have a a song list in front of me uh, for the for the for the new uh, for the new box, but there are a lot of songs that I know. Uh, that I'm going to really appreciate. Now, I was at the uh, fortunate to be at the Nassau Coliseum on New Year's in 1980. Yes. And saw that four-hour-plus show, four-and-a-half-hour-plus show, uh, which is, you know, still one of my highlights of any Bruce show and any artist. And to see him perform all those songs from, you know, what we're going to be treated to on the box and see that... Um, that uh, um, that video from Tempe, yeah. that's going to bring back a lot, a lot of memories. And um, so to answer your question, yes. So the 1980s, 1981 mm -hmm. uh, songs from um, uh, The River. Uh, the River, I mean, hey, yeah. let, let's, let's just talk about The River. I was at No Nukes in 1979 when I saw The River played for the very first time on any stage. Wow. And I, I mean, I have photographs of him mm -hmm. singing. Still remember him holding the harmonica very tightly in his hand, and singing the river with such conviction, and thinking, "Oh my God, what an amazing song!" Yeah. And 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 you know, uh, and and then he puts it out as the title song of his next album, which yeah. you know I could have never guessed. But I mean, it was so. I mean. Um, uh, you know the theme of the song, and you know the 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 the, 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 no, the no nukes concerts had a very yeah. um, uh, you know serious theme to it. Of course, it was all Absolutely. party time, right? But it was you know it was there to make us aware of 
you know, the nuclear power and what was going on. Right. Um, so I thought the river really, really, you know, fit into that, you know, sort of uh, theme. Um, and uh, another, another one of my favorites. We're going to have to have you on again. Uh, thank you so much. How can people reach you? Um, the, the best way to reach me is uh, go to the uh, website okay. for the darkness uh, book. The book is called The Light and Darkness. We have literally under 35 copies left. Okay. The shipping is at a really good, I mean, I'm charging less than what it's costing me to ship. I, unfortunately, I can't ship for free, but the mm -hmm. shipping costs are really, really um, um, affordable at this time. And I fully suspect that by um, uh, well, Christmas time or at least by the new year, well, we, all the books should be gone. So you can reach me or reach, purchase the book at uh, thelightindarkness.com. And that's T-H-E-L-I-G-H-T-I-N darkness, D-A-R-K-N-E-S-S.com. And I, you know, I suspect that that will be the link that you'll you'll put up. Yes, I will have uh, that in the show notes. Um, like uh, like the uh, uh, film Springsteen and I, mm -hmm. still to this day, I'm interested in anyone that has seen any of the Darkness shows, any okay. basically any of the shows in the '70s, because I run a blog on that website continuously post people's uh, experiences with Bruce, not necessarily with him directly, but mm -hmm. with his music. And if anyone has any photographs. So like I said, I have a continuous blog. Just click on either on the, the word darkness on the site or the word news, and you'll certainly uh, be able to find an email address for me uh, on the website and, and contact me directly. And um, I would love to hear your story. I would love to post your photographs. Uh, and just uh, just make this a continuous tribute to one of the greatest musicians uh, that we've seen. Absolutely, and uh, we're gonna. I'll be posting this. Um, my uh, Bruce buds. This should be out on December first. Uh, we're recording this about a week ahead of time. It is the website is going to be there. You need to make your order before December seventh to make sure it gets there by Christmas. It is a wonderful website. Please, please put a note in there that you heard about him on Set Listing Bruce so I can have him come and see me again. Thank you so much. This has been a blast. Uh, I'm going to, if you want to be on the podcast and talk about Bruce and all that implies, please send an email at setlustingbruce at gmail.com. We have a Facebook page and on Twitter at setlustingbruce. We'd also appreciate you going to iTunes to rate and review us. That helps listeners find us. Lawrence, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for taking time. Yours is a, a wonderful story, and I just appreciate it so much. We're going to close with tonight. There's fallen angels, and they're waiting for us down in the street. Tonight, there's calling strangers. Hear them crying in defeat. Let them go. Let them go. Let them go do their dances of the dead. Let them go right ahead. You just dry your eyes, girl, and come on, come on, come on. Let's go to bed, baby, baby, baby. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you soon.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.